I have two friends. Both of them have a similar struggle. They struggle with discouragement because of their ongoing patterns of sin. But you've never done that. You sin. You sin again. You have a repeated pattern. It's been recurring throughout your life, and you become discouraged or frustrated because of that. Well, if you are like that, then you are like my two friends. Here's the thing. Rather than seeing sin as an opportunity to lean into God, they are heading farther down the path of frustration and fear. Sinning plus struggling with ongoing discouragement. Do you hear the problem in that statement? Sinning, whatever it may be, plus, here's an addition, struggling with ongoing discouragement about your sin is a double sin paradigm. Kind of like football. A player knocks the player from the opposing team down, and then someone jumps on top of the guy who is already down. If you're struggling with a sin and then you fall into discouragement or frustration, anger, because of that sin, you are piling on the original problem. That's why I say that is a a double sin paradigm. And we don't want to get into that trap because it will take you farther down the path of frustration and fear. And that's why I titled this podcast in a counterintuitive way. Struggling with sin is one way the Lord strengthens you. I want to make a case for that in, that in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. If you want to talk about this or anything else, you can go to our free community forums and you can ask your questions there. Our forums are brought to you like all the resources on our website to those who support our ministry. Thank you for every person who gives $5 a month to help support our ministry. I realize that others give more, but I want to specifically thank those who who give $5 a month to support us. As one lady said, I would give more because it's worth more, but this is all that I can do. And and that just it reminds me of the lady who gave two copper coins. She gave what she could, and I just want to thank God for all of you who give $5 a month to support this ministry because you are helping a lot of people. More A more theological way of saying that, God is using you and your generosity to help a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are struggling with ongoing sin patterns. In fact, every person in the world is because nobody is entirely sanctified. And so this podcast applies to everyone. Now, if you want to talk about it, please come to our community forums. If you are a supporting member, go to the private side of our forum. That way it's a smaller group of people and it's just us talking with you. But if you aren't a supporting member, that's fine. That is perfectly okay. I want you to know that you can come to us because this is what we do. We are a discipleship community, and we want to help people. And so I speak to uh, areas of need where we struggle, relationship, 
uh, struggles that we have with each other, personal problems that we may have, and I want you to have a place to where you can come and communicate, and you do have that place. If you create your username and password, you're welcome uh, to jump on our forums and ask a question about anything. Now, again, the title of this podcast, Struggling With Sin, is one way the Lord strengthens you. You can read this podcast if you want. It is a 2,000-plus word article that you want to read. Perhaps you would want to read it on your laptop or your computer that or your desktop. That would be better. I realize the mobile phone is it's a bit tedious for long-form content, and I do understand that. That's one of the reasons that I do the podcast, because it is tedious to read a long article on your mobile device, but you can listen to it on your phone, and if you want to read it, maybe it would be better to go to your desktop or your laptop to read it. And then I want you to share it as well. Will you share this with another person? It would be fantastic if you met with that individual at a coffee shop or in your home or some other location, both of you read it together and talk through it so that you can mutually sharpen each other's iron. Iron sharpening iron so that you can mutually care for each other. Struggling with sin is one way the Lord strengthens you. I want you to think about that. Let's process it. Let me jump into it. The response to a transgression, when you miss the mark, which is the the metaphor, an archer uh, who is shooting an arrow at a target, he misses the target. That is the picture for sin or a transgression. And your response to missing the mark should not be more sinning through despair or frustration. Those are the two common ways that we will trip up over our own transgressions. Despair is is more fear-motivated that can be attached to worry and anxiety and disappointment and discouragement and And if that continues unabated in your soul, then you have a a complicated problem. The original issue and now the despair that you're piling on top of it, that's not the response that you want. Other people will respond in frustration, which can be anything from from yelling or blaming or you know doing something overtly or just this internal angst and anger that we have toward ourselves both of those uh, any of those in the anger spectrum anger constellation will cause a similar effect as the despairing person. Now, I realize sin can be discouraging, and you do want to be discouraged in a punctiliar fashion in a moment of time, but what I'm talking about is it cannot be lingering. And so even though we, yeah, yeah, we should be discouraged in a moment, but your main point of focus must be on the gospel, not what you did wrong. Missing God's mark should create a spiritual momentum that moves you toward gospel solutions rather than fear, despair, justifying, rationalizing, blaming. If your response to sin drives you away from the gospel, think about the motion here. If your response to sin drives you away from the gospel, 
You not only misunderstand the biblical purposes of sin in your life, but you underappreciate, undervalue, underutilize the power found in the gospel, which is sin's only solution. At conversion, God begins a good work in you by making you new. The real you, the regenerated you, the born-again you, will live forever. You will live forever. God changes you entirely after regeneration. Now, this is great news, and it happens because the Lord nails all your sins, every one of them. Look backward, all of your past sins. Think about at the moment, all of your present sins. Look into your future and think about it, all of your future sins. God nails your sins to the cross of his Son, and he declares you not guilty. A forensic legal term forever. You are not guilty. After Christ came out of the grave and ascended to heaven, he completed the work of salvation, which enabled you to receive an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not yours. It is Christ's righteousness. If you believe this gospel, you are entirely forgiven You are completely righteous because of the finished work of Christ. Your new righteousness that belongs to Jesus is a gift from God. God credits Christ's perfect record of obedience to you. This reality is a staggering doctrine, teaching. Think about it. You're no longer the person you used to be. The Spirit of God has come into you. Your past or your present struggles do not define you, and any future struggles will not identify you. This truth that I'm sharing with you is called the already but not yet theology. All of these things that I've laid out for you are true, but you have not experienced all of them while living on earth. Though you are perfect in Christ, you still live in a fallen body that draws you towards sin. What about if we back up for a moment, back all the way up, way, 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 way up to the beginning? The Lord made Adam and Eve with a desire to find life, meaning, purpose in their world. This opportunity was a good thing because everything in them and around them was morally good. Then came Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. From that point forward, the world and all of its inhabitants were no longer morally good. We became depraved entirely. Through and through, we are sad and bad and mad. Paul said, we were worthless. Put your fingers in your ears at that point, but that's his language, not mine. In Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become Worthless, not good for us self-esteemers to think that way, but honestly, it's the most healthy way that you can think. He finished by saying, no one does good, not even one. 
Our world and our hearts are thoroughly corrupted. Like a giant magnet, the world is drawing our hearts in compelling ways. Our sinful desires so easily lure us as we pursue things to continuously crave. The new you that Christ made continues to experience corruption that draws you toward evil. The not yet part of our salvation, you remember I I called this the already not yet theology, the not yet part of our salvation is still in the future, an incorruptible body that we long to receive. When the Lord Jesus comes for us, we will change into a new body, and our salvation will be complete at that point. But in the meantime, we have a problem. Evil pulls the Christian toward the things of this world. The magnetism of sin in our hearts is in full effect until we see Jesus. This season is it's right in between regeneration and glorification. You see, salvation is on a spectrum. You are regenerated, sure, but we it's not, as I said earlier, it's not complete, which is glorification. It is just as sure as it will ever be, but it's not complete. And so the period that is between regeneration and glorification, we call it sanctification. And so our problem with sin does raise a few questions. People ask these questions, and they are fine to ask, and it's one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast. Here are a few of those questions. Why didn't God make us complete at salvation? Why did he leave us in our bodies to where we still struggle with sin? Why can't we be sinlessly perfected today? Why do we have to wait into heaven to be entirely free from our sinning ways? I understand those questions. I have asked a version of them in my own experience, my own relationship with God. If being sinless was of most importance to the Lord, it seems he would have made us sinless after he regenerated us, but he didn't. And so the implication is there must be something more vital to him. What if you turn sin on its head by viewing it from the Lord's perspective rather than yours? You see, all the questions that I ask are questions through my eyes, through my window, from my perspective. What about the Lord's perspective? When you think about sin from your perspective, you may become discouraged or angry or even justified. When you view sin from the Lord's perspective, you should become hopeful, strengthened, and grateful. It's why I titled the podcast, Struggling with Sin is One Way the Lord Strengthens You. Paul does not want us to be ignorant of the sin or the suffering and other human weaknesses that come into our lives. His appeal was to turn these things on their heads by seeing them the way the Lord does. You see a little insight into Paul's theology about these matters in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He said, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us, here it is, rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And right there is the tension One of the reasons the Lord did not completely clean you up at salvation and why sin remains in your life is to regularly remind you that apart from the Lord, you cannot do anything. Jesus said it another way in John 15, 5. You know this verse well. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In the text from Second Corinthians, we see clearly, as, as Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant. God was permitting the affliction in their lives to help them to realize they can't rely on themselves, but they had to rely on God. God did not make you perfect at salvation, and, and he will not allow you to be that way in your earthly life. When you view your, view your sin, your suffering, other personal weaknesses through the power of the gospel, can't you see how the Lord wants to teach you not to rely on yourself? This gospel view of sin means humility must precede your holiness or your holiness will shipwreck you. If you see that your path to holiness is more about humility, your obedience will be without the snares of pharisaical pride. You must see any claims of obedience or holiness through the lens of your inability, through the lens of your weakness, through the lens of your dependence on the Lord. Any other way of working on your holiness will be born out of self-reliance that will lead to arrogance, high self-esteem, and condescension toward others. You remember the story in in Luke 18 where Jesus was, was telling this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and and the other was a tax collector, and the Pharisee was standing beside this, this tax collector and looking down on him. That's pharisaical pride because he was a self-reliant man who, who figured out holiness through his own strength, wisdom, intellect. The gospel view of sin means humility must precede your holiness or your holiness will shipwreck you. The self-reliant person is easily discouraged or frustrated by their sin. And what do they do because they're self-reliant? They redouble their efforts to conquer their weaknesses. This plan will not work. It will lead to additional sin patterns. But the God-reliant person is spurred on by humility. This attitude is God-empowered favor on their lives that motivates them to cooperate with the Lord in their ongoing transformation. Their humility gives them clarity on how they are and what they did. Now, they're not on a sin hunt. They're not sin-centered You don't want to be that person where sin becomes the epicenter of your life. But when they do sin, 
They are not overcome by it, but motivated to engage it. So they're not like the football player on the field. The man is already down, and they pile on. No, you don't do that to yourself. You don't pile on to yourself because your humility gives you clarity on who you are, this already but not yet theology that is operative inside of you. And so you're not overcome. You're not sin-centered. You're not on a sin hunt. You're not overcome by your transgressions. But you are motivated to engage it. You understand the reality of your imperfection, and you can label it accurately. The transgressor perceives the Lord's allowance of the sin in their lives, and here's the conjunction, trust him in the ongoing transformation of their souls. If you're not willing to identify what is wrong with you accurately, sin will overcome you, and your internal angst will continue. This reaction will hinder any person from ever perceiving how the Lord wants to take what is wrong with them to a new place in their ongoing sanctification. I talked earlier about what about, rather than seeing our sin through our lens, our window, our perspective, that we flip it on its head and we see it through the Lord's perspective. If you do, here are some things that you will see. Sin is the opportunity to magnify the Lord in your life. Sin is the platform upon which you will access the gospel's power. Without sin, there would be no need for a gospel. So you see sin as a platform. Sin is the doorway that will lead you to God's grace. Sin is the unrighteousness that brings heaven down to change you. Sin is the confession that beckons the Lord's cleansing. We're flipping sin on its head. You do not have to be afraid of or frustrated with sin. God loves you in spite of what's wrong with you. Think about that. Sin does not alter the Lord's opinion for you one iota. The Lord is never angry at you. The Lord is never disappointed with you. Think about it this way. God the Father is never disappointed with Jesus. Do you believe that? Say it out loud. Do you believe that? God the Father is never disappointed with Jesus. If you need some help with that, that's Mark 1.11. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But more than that, God the Father is never angry with Jesus. God the Father is never frustrated with Jesus. Never disappointed, never angry, never frustrated with Jesus. After you were born again, you received the righteousness of Christ. God united you with Jesus. Let me say it another way. He placed you in Jesus. When the Lord sees you, he sees the gift that he gave you, which is the righteousness of Christ. The Lord is never angry, never disappointed, or never frustrated with you. And so those three statements that I made, God the Father is never disappointed with Jesus, never angry with Jesus, never frustrated with Jesus, they apply to you because you are in Christ. You are his child, and he sees you through the finished work of Christ. 
your sin does not change this theological truth. If you are a person who believes your sin alters how God thinks about you, it's time for you to change. That is not what sin does to your relationship with the Lord. What should happen is for you to view your sin as your time, to continue to lean into the good work that God is doing in you while progressing to a greater depth of holiness. Christ cherishes you. He washes you. You are clean. You are blameless. You are wrapped up tightly in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Jesus is everything you are not, and he stands before the Father on your behalf as everything you are not. The title of this podcast is Struggling with Sin is One Way the Lord Strengthens You. I have made my case. Now, here's my call to action. Our inability to overcome sin is how God works humility into us. If we were able to overcome sin because of our ability, because of our intellect, we would not need Him. We would not need the gospel. We would not need His grace. In fact, I, I believe that we could, we could build a, a tower to, to the heavens and, and there would be nothing impossible for us. We would not need God. Uh, that's, a, that's a paraphrase of Genesis eleven six 6 when, when the people were building a t- the Tower of Babel. The Lord wants us to cooperate with him in the sanctification of our lives. He wants us to come to him to receive the grace we need to work through our problems. For by grace... God saved us, and by grace, he sanctifies us. I'm going to give you four vital, sequential points to consider as you have now listened to this podcast, and and I want you to reflect on each one of them carefully. Here's the question that I want you to think about. Where does your sanctification become bogged down to where you are stuck or feel unable to progress? It may be helpful to talk about these four vital sequential points with a trusted friend or within your small group. Most definitely, I want you to spend time with your Heavenly Father working through the complexities of your soul. Here are four vital sequential points that I want you to consider. Number one, contrition. I put all these in C's so that Hopefully it will be a mechanism for you to remember them, but the contrition is the humility that I was talking about earlier. Here's what contrition says. When I sin, I do not fall into despair, but run to hope. I know the Lord is doing good work in me, and and my sin becomes the portal through which I access His grace. And so the first vital sequential step is contrition, or in this context, the synonym is humility. Number two, categories. I have clear, specific, and precise sin categories. I know what I have done. I don't cut the corners off my sin or play mental games with myself or with others. I name it and claim it because theological accuracy will expedite the Lord's help. Sometimes we cut the corners off our sin because we want to soothe our consciences rather than dealing with our issues head on. That's what I mean by having clear, specific, precise sin categories. Four sequential steps for you to consider. One is is contrition. 
you don't fall into despair, but you see your sin as a, a portal through which you can access grace. Categories, you have clear, specific, and precise sin categories. Confession, number three, with clear sin categories, I am able to agree, which is what the word confession means, with God, with what I did quickly. I see what he sees. We're on the same page. Confession. This response makes it easier to confess my sin and receive his cleansing. Contrition, categories, confession, and number four, community. I need the body of Christ. Sanctification happens best in a community. Not only do I want others to know what the Lord is doing for me, but I want to position myself to help others in their walk of faith. The call on me is to go and make disciples, and so I'm not just engaging community so that I can get over my problems, whatever they may be, but I'm engaging community because I want to be a disciple maker. The same mercy that has been given to me, I want to help others to get there too. How did you do? What are what area do you struggle the most? Contrition, categories, confession, community. Will you talk to a friend? Will you find some help? Sin does not have to be detrimental to your soul. Sin can be the beginning of a great new life in Christ. The title of the podcast and the article that I just shared with you, Struggling with Sin, is is one way the Lord strengthens you. Perhaps you don't have that help. Perhaps your church is, is not conducive to these kinds of transparent conversations. You're just not in a situation where you can talk to someone Well, you can talk to us, and so I appeal to you to come and and share what's on your heart, whether it's about this or, or something else. We would be more than happy to listen to you and give you the best advice that we can. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. God bless. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.